You are not your body. Who is this you that we speak of that has that body? There's an opportunity to discover newly for yourself who you really are. It's a journey of discovering who you are, of falling in love with who you are, and the opportunity of who you can express yourself as in the world. Now, you need a body to be able to do that. That's how we experience and express ourselves in the world and proceed through whatever journey we take on. He has definitely been amazingly instrumental. He is super intelligent in many regards to help you in business and life and strategy and soul and action and alignment and impact and income and all the different amazing things that we talk about here. So hi, Dean. It's difficult to be out here in the world connecting to people when you're so concerned about your own internal state and your own lot. It's very difficult to manage your mood and your emotional states. If we're not looking after the machinery, you've got to get all that well and get the foundation right. There's controversy around stem cells over the years and the use of them. And so it's really interesting to me. There was a $3 billion agency set up called California Institute of Regenerative Medicine funding stem cell research throughout California. But unfortunately, they climbed the wrong ladder because all the focus went into embryonic stem cells. Now, the problem with embryonic stem cells is they're great for research and development, but their clinical applicability is very limited. Cosmic Money, the podcast. The strategy and energetics of seven-figure business. Hello, hello, gorgeous beings. Welcome to today's podcast. Um, I'm your host, Sky. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you here. Um, and I'm bringing a really interesting guest today. I'm super excited for this chat. This is Dean, everyone. I've been told to just say Dean. This is Dean. <laughs> Dean Gilby. Um, and he has definitely been um, amazingly instrumental, um, uh, inadvertently a little bit as well, uh, in the year that I've just had. And, um, I know that he is, uh, you know, super intelligent, uh, in many regards. And so I'm actually really excited for this conversation today and, um, what we're going to be able to, um, bring to you to help you in business and life and, and strategy and soul and action and alignment and impact and income and all the different, you know, amazing things that we talk about here. So hi, Dean. Hello. It's <laughs> a very generous introduction. Appreciate that. <laughs> I said to Dean, I was like, what's the wanky title? Give me the wanky title. He said, no, there isn't one. And I was like, oh gosh, I could have been more generous <laughs> with lining you up with something amazing. But Dean, Dean will do. It's like a superhero name. Um, so, I mean, Dean, hello. Why are you the human um, that gets to be here today and having a bit of a conversation? Do you want to tell everybody why we kind of, why we're sort of inadvertently connected and, and you know, what's been going on from your side of things? Yeah, well, you've made some major shifts to your health and well-being over the past little while and did so inside of a structure that I created, Simpler Health and, and that coaching structure. So it's great to see, uh, you know, the end product of that uh, in people's lives, it's always thrilling to see what people do with the restoration of their health and well-being, and watch them fly. And you look amazing, and <laughs> thank you. Amounts of energy. So we um we had Emma on here. Um, we had Emma on here as well, and she just kept saying, "She's like, look at those cheekbones. She's like, you should see your face now." <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a, a commitment to empowering and enabling people who are up to stuff that contributes and makes a difference in the difference in the world. So, you know, I guess my target market, at least in for that business, is it, big people with big lives. And if you know, for anyone whose health and well-being is uh, seemingly in the way of them fully expressing themselves in 
whatever commitments you know they they want to fulfill on then uh, if we can assist them in handling those constraints on their well-being and improve and uh, elevate their vitality etc and you know then you know that's what we're here for I actually love what you just said, like, uh, and I don't know that I've heard you say it in that way um, quite before, but it really actually resonates with me, the human, um, you know, uh, big people out there doing like big things, you know, and I know for myself in my own journey, like, uh, you know, um, most people listening to this know I'm actually a nutritionist, you know, one of the many trades in the background there kind of thing, but everything that I was doing that I knew how to do and to affect my body simply wasn't working. And not only that, you know, because yes, it's a conversation about um, health and well-being, but also how much that then affects every other area of our existence in our life. And, you know, I'm very rah-rah business, all things, um, you know, and it was, it was absolutely showing up in my business to not be able to be showing up as my fully expressed, like energetic, amazing self, you know, from the position that, you know, I ended up in. So for me, this was the thing that, um, change the game. I knew I needed, you know, uh, external input in some way because what I had in my head, you know, got me to where I was and to get to a place that I hadn't been for a while, you know, I needed to do new things. And that was really where obviously you guys stepped in. <laughs> yeah, well, good on you for taking that step. It's, uh, you know, it's very easy to get used to standing in sewage. Mm. You, know, you just don't realize it's like the, you know, the frog in the in the hot water, yes. uh, if it heats up slowly, it just stays there uh, to its own yeah. detriment. So unfortunately, uh, in many situations, our own health is like that. And there's a, it's difficult to notice it for yourself, but there's an observed withdrawal from participating fully in life. So mm -hmm. if we can uh, assist people in being able to see that for themselves, and it's not comfortable, uh, you know, that if you were to, stand in sewage and it is possible to get used to standing in sewage like you just get used to the stench and the unworkability and the trap of it and you do the best yeah. that you can inside of that constraint to get along in life but uh, it's not until someone comes along and is willing to stir the the sewage up and it starts smelling you know and it's not comfortable and and often you know to get out of it uh, you, you got to jump right into the poo and and swim for dear life and you know movies like Shawshank Redemption etc you know that very much paint that picture of of what all of our lives are often like so you know good on you for for getting deep down into the trenches and and just getting it handled um and in doing so you get yeah. to reap the rewards so you know congratulations it's awesome yeah and, you know, I did a, a recent podcast, actually, like, you know, my experience with all of these things and um, and the dedication and the mastery, you know, that um, and commitment to self and things like that. And I know, um, like, uh, Simpler Health yourself, um, Emma, you know, um, are all are really big on speaking about, like, performance, you know, and the performance, like, aspects of it. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit for uh, for everyone who's listening? Performance, everyone wants to be a high performer or at least the people that I interact with. And it's it's something that, uh, you know, you're always looking at how can you elevate your performance. Unfortunately, when you say performance, what people's brains automatically turn to are performance outcomes, so results. So we're, we're just so results-driven and we want better looking results and we want to 
uh, you know, bigger results and easier results. And so there's their outcomes though, and you don't have a direct say over your performance outcomes or the results. That would be like standing on the scales, yelling at the scales to change the number. It just makes no difference, right? So you don't have a direct say over the performance outcomes. The results, however, are a function of performance. So that you do have a direct say over and performance is distinguished as just simply action or inaction and that's all the universe responds to. So the universe doesn't respond to well-meaning intentions and goodwill and however you feel and no, there's like do or do not. That's all the universe responds to. So if you want to impact your health and well-being, if you just, for example, step on the scales or measure your waist circumference, your body is a performance outcome. And whenever, you know, someone comes to me with ill health or they're, you know, they've never had any real power in dealing with their weight or their metabolic health or whatever it might be, if I ask them, you know, how did you get this way? How did you end up with this performance outcome, i.e. your body? They would always tell me some uh, story about their circumstances, some constraint on their circumstances, some, but that's just life happening, right? And life happening in circumstances, it's not that dissimilar to traffic, you know? So you might be driving in traffic. I live, I'm here in Sydney, so, you know, but I, I travel a lot, whether it's Tokyo or Jakarta or wherever, you know, there's always a lot of traffic and you might get a bit pissed off at the traffic in the moment, but you don't wake up the next day still annoyed at yesterday's traffic. You're very settled that that circumstance is out of your control. And so it doesn't bother you too much. But, you know, we drag stuff with us in our ways of being and acting. uh, And and then we become a, a victim to our own creation and then seemingly can't do anything about it. What that looks like, especially say, for example, a, a woman in her forties, uh, you know, most adult women, at least in Australia are on some kind of a diet every 18 months uh, or so f- for most of their adult life. And you may have lost weight and then gained it back and then lost it and gained it back and a few cycles and every cycle, it gets harder and harder and you get to the point where you're in your you know, mid forties and it's like, screw it. Everyone just needs to love me the way that I am, but you don't. So good luck, you know, uh, having the kind of freedom and power to be able to live the life that you really want. So, you know, this is something that you, you took on and it really is a mastery, a process of mastering your internal state, right? So you're, when I say mastering your internal state, your, your psychology, your thoughts and feelings. So for a human being, there's nothing else going on other than thoughts and memories, uh, mental states, emotional states, and body sensations. Now, the problem is that's everything in here, but where life happens is out here. And so there really is this transformative opportunity where you discover that you have a body, you are not your body. And when you can discover that you have a body, who is this you that we speak of that has that body? Well, now there's an opportunity to discover newly for yourself who you really are. It's a, it's a journey of, of 
falling in love, of discovering who you are, of falling in love with who you are, and the opportunity of who you can express yourself as in the world. Now, you need a body to be able to do that. Uh, that's how we experience um, and express ourselves in the world and proceed through whatever journey we take on. So, you know, if we're not looking after the machinery, um, then, you know, you, there's there's very little respect one can generate for others if there's very little respect for yourself. So I love that you took that on and that you discovered what it is to love oneself again and then handling your health was an expression of that love. What um, was super transformative for me was, I mean, there were definitely many triggered moments, like, <laughs> you know, and um, which I found fascinating in its own right because I feel like I, you know, I, um, I love behavioral science. I am deep in this stuff every single day and it's so fascinating, you know, to have those sort of gray areas, you know, mirrored back to you and actually to have to like, you know, sit in that for a second and go, oh my gosh, like here's this other edge that still needs healing that was maybe out of my vision previous, you know, to this experience. So there were definitely some, you know, fuck you, Dean, and fuck you, Emma kind of moments. However, <laughs> really, I'm probably just saying, you know, like, fuck me kind of thing. Um, what I found super transformative was the realization that um, uh, there, was a, there was a settling. However, it wasn't settling for how things were. It was this idea of settling for how things had been that I was hell-bent on getting back to something, you know, this this vision that I had, you know, previously pre, you know, some health things that came up and all the rest of it. And I literally remember having the conversation um, uh, uh, one day where it was like, oh my God, and my brain just exploded. And I went, why am I limiting myself to get back to something when I actually get to now choose to be, you know, better than I have ever been before in my lifetime, you know? And that was like just brain explosion, you know, to realize that and to know that like um, following the performance, you know, and and settling into that and that being life, you know, that uh, the things that were coming were always going to be so much better than I could have ever imagined. And going backwards now just seems silly in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a constraint. Uh, we, we see it at, at a very high level with very top performers and champion athletes, for example, who might retire from their sport and then they don't do the work to create their next championship game in life. And there's a, a grieving process that one must go through, but that grieving process is not one of just feeling all the feels. Uh, that process is actually a process of completion. So you have to distinguish what um, needs to be completed and actually declare it complete. It's complete when you declare it complete, but who's declaring it complete? You know, if you're still this traumatized being uh, upset and pissed off with your lot in life, then there's no power in that in that declaration, so it won't actually be complete. So, you know, that takes uh, the willingness to be responsible for whatever's there uh, in your future. You know, if you're trying to get back to something in the past, like I used to be this way, I want to be more like that again. 
the past is the past. Now you're projecting it into your future and you're limiting the the real opportunity and possibility of discovering who you are newly and the life that you could live. So, um, you know, that's how you do that is you leverage the space-time reality of your existence and there, there are daily practices, there are weekly practices, there are monthly practices that you took on. And so, you know, if you're on a diet, you've got to eat less. I mean, it's the only thing that causes a reduction in total body weight is to reduce the total number of um, calories that you take in uh, in a day, every day, uh, weeks at a time. Uh, not just like I'll stick to a diet for a few days and then I'll... I, I've done well this week and I should have permission to be able to indulge this weekend or no, grow up. You don't get to do that. You know, so being mature is, uh, sticking to what you said, uh, all the time. Right. And, and you don't give yourself permission to be juvenile and you don't give yourself permission to buy yourself off with all that the internal dialogue that says, oh, you know, I deserve this and a little bit won't hurt or, you know, you just got to keep creating a distinct kind of logic. Like when people say, oh, but a little bit won't hurt, will it? And I'd say to them, like, listen, what if your teenage or adult child came to you and said, but I only ran through one red light. Can't be that bad. No, you're risking everything. And, you know, and if you're going to drive a car on the roads here in Australia, you agree. There's a there's an agreement that you don't break the rules. And there's a reason for that. It keeps people safe and, and it's workable. It has integrity. So you've learned to generate integrity and you only learn to generate integrity when everything in you wants to do the complete opposite, wants to quit. Wants, that's how you expand who you're being in life. So if you're going to commit to creating and playing a bigger game, you need to also expand the degree to which or the integrity with which you hold yourself as a human being. And uh, are you someone that honors their word? And that's really tough when you've restricted the total caloric intake and we've restricted carbohydrates and you know, you're eating similar things every day and everything inside you is like, you know, I'm sick of this. But what happens is with the, the discipline that you generate, which you didn't have in the beginning, but you demonstrated it, uh, your physiology changes, your biochemistry changes, uh, your brain becomes more plastic, there's neurogenesis um, happening, um, your inflammation is reduced, you see things clearer now, you're calmer, you sleep better, you've got more energy. Uh, when you're unwell, it's very difficult to transform uh, to the level that people want uh, without first handling their health. So uh, you got an opportunity to do both at the same time. And if you don't take on mastering your internal state, then good luck trying to make the difference in the world that you're out to to make. So, you know, that that's kind of the process. Yeah, to give context to that, you know, just in my, my little sort of small and large way, um, you know, there was one point last year, I'm pretty sure I ate the exact same thing. And I'm not saying people need to do this, but I ate the exact same thing every single day for about five months. <laughs> like, because I was just like, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. But then it just actually, it just became 
nothing. Like it was, you know, and, and so I know that it was probably even longer than that. But at that point, it had just, it just blended into what I was doing. I didn't have to think about it. It was, it was, you know, almost meditative in its own right, because it was just like, this is the dedication. This is the mastery. This is the thing. And, and I, you know, I love what you said about, um, you know, it's the idea of, of doing these things. Um, even when other people aren't watching, because at the end of the day, you are, you know, and so, so yeah, one bite of something that is not currently, you know, what is meant to be happening or whatever, you know, it, it's like, yeah, actually, it does matter, you know, because I know, I know if I've done the wrong thing, it doesn't matter if I tell other people or not, it's, you know, that integrity piece within yourself. Um, That's right. And you are an, you're a nutritionist. So clearly, knowing everything doesn't carry the day you know and so how profound is it if you have all the answers if you've read all the books but you don't have the results that you really want for yourself in your life how profound is it if you've got an answer for everything but there's no more love and passion and power in your experience of life i mean that that's in my mind just stupid so uh, you know, knowledge, more knowledge. And I know a lot of stuff and, it, you know, people come to me and explain this to me and what are the details around this? And it's like, listen, you got to commit and you just got to do it. And when people ask me, so how does it work? I just say, it's really simple. You, you commit, you pay me money every month and you do what you're told and you get the results. It's, it's that simple. So yeah. And human beings, there's a, a reluctance to do things the way that they're designed to be done. Uh, and there's even when the perfect protocol, for example, it's scientifically designed, it's clinically validated, it works every single time to a degree that you just can't get anywhere else in the world. And, uh, it, you know, clients will still attempt, attempt to tamper with it. And, you know, pretty much 90% of their questions within the first two weeks of starting a, a coaching structure, the answer is no. <laughs> They're always looking to see what they can get away with and um, how best they can cover their ass and their own self-importance. And, you know, my response is always, listen, your thoughts and feelings and what you value and believe, et cetera, has gotten you to the point where you're at right now. I wouldn't trust that all of that to get you to the next level. Uh, I'd listen to what, um, you know, we're coaching you on and, um, you know, you, you've got to grow up. And so they're the major transformations. You have a breakthrough in actually participating uh, in something that maybe you've had your head in the sands for a long time about. And there's a breakthrough in actually actively engaging and surrendering to a process and trusting the process and, and investing yourself. And people have to invest. It's like business. How do you want to get ahead in business? You've got to invest. You got to invest your your time and your energy and your commitment and your focus, and you got to put your money where your mouth is, etc. And that's just the way the universe works. So you got to invest in this, and you got to figure out how you're going to resource the investment in your well being. And people don't do that critical thinking and put the intellectual effort into um, really uh, working it out. Like, how am I going to resource this commitment, this investment for, for my health? well-being and, and health and well-being is often related to as a last stitch thought or effort when you know when I handle everything else then I'll start I'll take care of myself um, and everyone knows it's like you got to sharpen the saw uh, but you know everyone knows that but like I said earlier knowing makes no difference so 
you know, there's there's a lot to to learn along the way, and mostly it's discovering um, how much of a juvenile uh, brat uh, you are, and and then and then having being humble and mature enough to take responsibility for that, and then try on new ways of being and acting that might actually serve you. Yeah, I, you know, I completely feel personally attacked in everything you've just said. Um, (laughs) You know, from, um, uh, you know, yes, like it probably took me, I reckon, two months, at least, I would say two months to maybe, uh, you know, drop away that that self-importance and, you know, and surrender. I don't surrender well, (laughs) like I know that. Um, And so, uh, and make some big shifts. Look, you know, we could sit here and talk about the human brain and, and you know, and the, and change is scary and everything's trying to keep us safe and, you know, all of these pieces. And, um, um, but even, you know, even for me, like I chose some big changes, which were uh, to go back to eating meat again, because I hadn't been eating meat for probably the best part of seven years. Um, and so, and that was my choice. That's not necessarily part of the protocol, everyone, let's be clear. Um, um, but as I said, I knew what I had been doing wasn't functioning for where my body was at and what it needed at that time. And so I had to sit there with that choice going, well, if I'm all in, you know, and I and I believe that this is going to be a more easeful, um, uh, aligned way to be able to do it, you know, even if it goes against some of the things that, you know, um, I'd been doing and what I thought and my own ego and all of these pieces, like actually just allowing that to drop away surrender to the process go all in on it you know and for me as well I knew I was in for time like time I I didn't think that this was a quick fix and even with the investment you know I I knew the investment was there and that that would be fine but I looked at it like the investment for the year you know not month by month there were no exits in in the back of my brain it was like right you know this is the thing that I'm doing here is the investment for you know like a year this is how I'm looking at it to give um, to give it the uh, the weight, the importance, and um, that it needed, you know, for me to get point A to point B, and I'm still on the journey at the moment. <laughs> where are you at um, in your journey? Where am I at in my journey? That's a great question. So I'm at um, 20 kilos uh, lost. I'd be pretty much on the dot there ish. Um, like yeah, yeah, and you know, it's fascinating. We sit here having this conversation, and I've plateaued. Uh, a little bit for for the last kind of few weeks, and um, and there have been a few times over the last year because I've been on the the journey for a year, um, a bit over, uh, that I did have strange plateaus for whatever reasons. The performances in um, uh, you know, the doing was actually there, but my body just wants to do whatever it wants to do sometimes too. And in those moments, now it doesn't worry me. A few times last year, definitely the entitlement came up. Absolutely, I'm sitting here going. I'm sacrificing all of the things and I'm doing all of the stuff and I want to eat that thing over there, but I, but I can't, you know, like instead of I'm actually just choosing not to for right now and that that's, you know, in relation to the goals that I'm after. Um, uh, and so it is really, it sits really differently in my brain now too, you know, because again, at the end of the day, I look at the journey of a year and the results are there. So even if things plateau and, you know, I just keep going and I just do the thing and whatever, because I know, you know, at some point in time, the the outcome, the performance outcome is actually going to be there. The proof is, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. Yeah. The proof is in the letters. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've spent my life obsessed with the strategy and energetics of seven-figure business. I've literally traveled the world trying to crack the code. And what I've found is that when you couple the pursuit of making massive amounts of money with the strategy and science of success, plus having a desire for significant impact and contribution, magic happens. That's why I created a free 21-day Next Level Vortex money mission magic. Hell yes to that. This 21-day Quantum Business Challenge is here to shift you into new timelines and realities. 21 days to quantum shift your impact, business, and your bank account. These carefully crafted and channeled tools are the exact things I've used to create a life beyond my wildest dreams, and I'm not done yet. If you're ready for incredible transformation now in all areas of your life, more money and financial freedom, freedom of time, freedom of lifestyle, freedom of choice, better, more connected relationships, greater levels of health, and simply calling in more magic into every single day, then these 21 days are going to blow your mind. 21 days of powerful universal, behavioral, and strategic tools to quantum shift your internal state so that you start to see massive changes in your external reality, bringing the metaphysical into the physical. Join the challenge now and get ready for the most powerful 21-day expansion to quantum shift your impact, business, bank account, and your life. Cosmic Money, the podcast. The strategy and energetics of seven-figure business. The... Um... You know, the, the performance outcomes or lack thereof, uh, if you're not losing weight uh, in any given week, then there's only three reasons why the total uh, number on the scale hasn't moved. That is either you've deviated from the design of the protocol, either intentionally or unintentionally, um, or you're full of poo that hasn't yet moved through you, uh, or you're menstruating and... Um, you know, the, just that time of the cycle where you hold more fluid, right? So uh, other than those three reasons, there's no other justification for why the scales haven't changed, right? Now, why have a coach is because the coach can see things that you can't see. So self-managing is very, very difficult because you just, like I said, it, it you go back to standing in sewage again where there's a constraint, you feel stuck, things aren't moving, uh, you need some outside eyes, like eyes that are other than yours, to be able to look in to see what may be hidden from your view, what's in your blind spot. Um, and these may be just, it, it could be obvious to someone else. It might be your, your ways of being. I mean, that's, you don't know, you're in the middle of it all. So, you know, it's, but also a, a knowledgeable. I'm quite aware that I'm a, I'm a highly strung, stressed out hormonal <laughs> human. So like I already know that part. Ordinary, <laughs> ordinary. That that does not sit in my shadow by any means. Yeah, yeah and that's yes. and you you got to just trust in in that process. And the journey is very unique and specific to you, but the yeah. pathway upon which you tread is kind of it's laid out already. And, and there, there really is a surrendering and, and we've all got our own points of view and grievances and so forth. And it just, every time there's a real, my mom used to say to me all the time, like, you got to humble yourself and bloody hell that used to annoy me every time that she'd say that. And because all I heard was that she thought, um, I, what I was saying wasn't valid. And, and my grievances and upset and outrage and all of that was invalid. And she kept saying, you've got to humble yourself. 
she wouldn't get upset with me. She just would always use those words. And it wasn't until, you know, I was an adult and it was, it was after she'd passed away, uh, you know, when someone leaves this plane of existence, often you, you hear them constantly and things that you start reinterpreting things. And I actually got it. It's like, well, if you don't humble yourself, the universe has a way of doing it for you. You know, it'll slap you down. It'll, and what it oftentimes repetitively, like when you're at a certain point, you think you've rebuilt or you're about to have that breakthrough and breakthrough to the next level. And then some circumstance or whatever just slaps you back down. And, you know, it, it takes a big person to be able to take a step back and step outside of themselves, turn around and have a good hard look. And uh, oftentimes that first glance is not comfortable. It's not easy to be with when you're willing to have a good hard look at yourself like that. But if you can be with it long enough, uh, you'll start to see what's behind the facade, what is really there, who you really are. And when you get connected to that aspect of self, then, you know, it's, it's quite a moving process and, you know, can bring people to their knees. When you get connected to who you really are, you start to see how powerful you really are how strong you really are, what's possible for you. And, you know, some of these likes and dislikes and grievances about having to eat salad twice a day or, you know, having to have a protein shake or, you know, just the the, the upset about that just falls by the wayside and and you, you get on with what you're really supposed to be here to, to do. Beatrice about, like, the emotionality of it then, like, and, and that kind of... Yeah idea of like acting in spite of yeah we're all brats like you said earlier we're all about human beings are about their own self-importance seeing what they can get away with and how best to cover their backside right so that's pretty much life mostly for human beings right and we do that for several decades uh you know at best and then it all ends the same right dirt in our face or a fire up our backside and you know and so that the the self-importance and the internal state um that's what there is to master and and when i say master it i don't mean get a better internal state or get a quieter uh internal state or um a more powerful internal state no it's literally you you practice noticing it and let it be. And your performance, your actions and inactions are more and more given by your word versus your psychology. And, you know, which is it, it's a difficult thing for people to grasp, especially in the current condition, uh, because the narrative is, is not that. The narrative is like your thoughts and feelings are of utmost importance and we need to cater to that and everybody else's. Well, the problem with that is that your thoughts and feelings aren't you. I mean, you can't control them, can't change them. So what makes you think they're yours? They're just a set of inherited conversations. We're not that as individuals original that we came up with ourselves. I can't do it. It's too hard. Why me? Get to the point. Uh, what is the point? You know, people uh, act like that whilst they're on the diet. It's like, uh, and so when when can I transition to the next stage? It's like, no, that you understand cognitively that there's a there's a beginning and an end, 
but you play the game when you're in the game like this is forever. And that's when you actually master it because you let go of, oh, I can't wait to get through this or if only, or there's not much further to go. No, you just, you learn how to be here now. And what there is to do and be responsible for here and now is eat when you're supposed to eat. Invite yourself to lunch, sit down for 15 minutes and actually have the meal. Instead, there's this addiction to try and like just uh, you're eating standing up and you're eating whilst you're trying to do other things. And, and now your nutrition, which is foundational to your health, which is foundational to everything else in your life, doesn't get the, the you know, what it deserves. You, you invest zero into that. And, you know, and, and in the rush to get through life, what becomes very convenient for people are packaged food and ultra processed foods and, 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 you know, Uber Eats and, you know, delivered food and everything like that. So it's very, very easily, uh, um, it's very easy for people to wake up one day and go, how the heck did I get 20 kilograms over my ideal body weight? How the heck did that happen? And as I said earlier, when I ask people, how did you end up with that performance outcome, your, i.e. your body, how it is now, there's always some circumstance. I lost my job. I injured my knee and I had to stop exercising or my dog died or, you know, I just, no, no one says, listen, over the past uh, 36 months, I've consumed 120 kilograms worth of cake. No one ever says that to me. I mean, that would be very sourceful and powerful. I would be like, wow, you're amazing, like right on point. And that's someone who's connected to the reality of their life with a very objective relationship to their performance in life. For that human being, I would just give them a set of instructions. But, but I've never met anyone like that yet. Could, you know. It's the beauty of human beings. I'm not even saying that that would be the ideal way to be. I mean, there's there's a lot uh, there's there's a lot of value in in individual internal states, uh, and I think as a coach, that's part of the the joy in working with people is you get to discover new expressions and new experiences that I may not have or or you know be able to express myself. But in communication with those that we coach. We get to learn all of that, and it just expands the human experience for us as well. Something that um, uh, you know, I said I was definitely going to be picking your ba brain about today. Um, uh, you know, I said my story before that the, the most transformative piece for me was realizing, oh my gosh, I actually get to be better as I move into the future, and you know, and to stop limiting myself, and you know, the the. Uh, the extra bit of dialogue that goes with that was that I was like, I'm going to age backwards. <laughs> I can, I refuse. <laughs> like that's it, you know. Um, and so you're actually working on things within um, regenerative uh, medicine, and I've never been able to lock you down to have this conversation because, as I said to you, I find this stuff fascinating, and I know you're out there doing other um, amazing things uh, um, with your existence. Uh, so tell us about all of that. Yeah, well, I have a real passion for, as you said, regenerative medicine um, and giving the body what it needs to be able to heal itself. Uh, you know, there's just thousands of years of evolutionary genius 
uh, in our bodies and sometimes it just needs a little bit of a helping hand. So back in uh, 1999, my, my father had cancer and he passed away uh, on February 3rd, uh, 1999. And um, it was about six months after he died that the Gleevec study was published. Uh, and, and this study basically demonstrated the emergence of a drug therapy that pretty much cured that form of leukemia. And um, so interestingly enough, that same year, um, there was a, a the very first patient that was treated with immune cell therapy in Japan uh, was successfully treated for his cancer. He had a severe advanced neck cancer that had metastasized in particular in his lungs. And he was treated with his own cells um, and uh, cured him. And he lived for another 20-something years and, and then uh, passed away at a nice old age. Um, so it was very different. I thought it back then... 1999, that the future was developing the next blockbuster drug that could make that kind of a difference. And in Japan, um, there were many players in that realm that went down the cellular therapy route. Um, and it makes sense that some of the biggest innovations in cellular medicine come from Japan, uh, including uh, induced pluripotent stem cell technology by Professor Yamanaka. Um, so he won the Nobel Prize for that in 2012. So anyway, I, you know, developed myself as a biochemist, microbiologist, and then cell biologist. And it was in about 2014, I started to wrap my head around the possibilities now of applications of, of cells. And it wasn't necessarily engineering the, the best super cell that we could use to treat patients. And for a long time, we thought that that might be embryonic stem cells, um, but you've got cells, regenerative cells in your body in most all of your tissues, and in particular, a couple of tissues that are easily accessible where they're in high enough numbers that we can, we can obtain them, we can grow them to high numbers, we can put them back into you, we can bank them for later use because you and I weren't privileged to have our cord blood banked. Um, not that that's of much use these days anyway, but you know, having said that, uh, in 2014, I uh, wrapped my head around what was happening, and unfortunately, I didn't—I uh, wasn't that inspired by the kind of practitioners that were were applying these types of approaches to patients. And so, I went to the US to see who's doing what, what's the best, what could I bring back to Australia. Um, and since 2014, I've done a number of things. I've ran the first. Uh, physician training workshops to teach doctors here in Australia how to perform these types of procedures in clinic. Um, that's utilizing fat-derived stem cells or bone marrow-derived stem cells. So bone marrow transplants are in and of themselves a stem cell procedure. Um, and in your bone marrow, you've got stem cells, hematopoietic stem cells that can turn into blood cells. And you've also got mesenchymal stem cells. They're now referred as medicinal secretory cells or mesenchymal stromal cells, um, they can turn into tissues like muscle, bone, cartilage, um, tendons, even nerve cells. Um, so they're an exciting cell to, to work with. Um, and uh, so I ran some of these workshops and we treated the first, gosh, what did we do? 
um, the first diabetic wound in Australia to be treated with stem cells, um, which, uh, the first intravaginal injection of stem cells um, to treat uh, incontinence and pain, um, the first intradiscal stem cell injection, um, the first patient with Sjogren's syndrome, the first patient with, um, uh, what's the other one called? Uh, scleroderma. Um, I used stem cells to heal the family dog who had renal failure. Um, the dog lived for another three years. Um, so there are a number of... Because that was really my question is, yeah, what are the practical applications yeah. of like this work? Like, what can we expect, like, you know, hopefully now and into the future? Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately what happened in 2018, uh, I had a clinic I'd set up in, in Sydney and we were using the patient's own fat-derived stem cells. So it turns out we can get 500 times more stem cells out of your fat tissue than we can from uh, bone marrow, gram to gram. And um, most people have enough fat that we can uh, readily extract a, a little bit. So you're on the protocol. I, I select the stem cells, grow them to high numbers, bank them for later use, which made possible repeat dosing. And we were treating osteoarthritic pain and joint dysfunction. And that improved the quality of life for the patients. It um, significantly delayed the requirement for total joint re replacement surgery. Uh, but in 2018, the Australian government altered the policies on the use of your own cells. So uh, the law became that you weren't allowed to use your own cells to treat your own body, uh, even if there were no other options. So I had to close that clinic down and then I had to explore what other ways I could contribute this. I, I set up um, a clinic in Pakistan just, I think that was just to see if I could do it and have that experience. And that was amazing. I was there in Pakistan. I built a, a, a clinic and a laboratory and um, to help people suffering uh, with these debilitating conditions of musculoskeletal pain. Um, yeah. And then uh, I helped set up another company. But it was so difficult here in Australia. Um, I, yeah. I always wanted to see what could be possible elsewhere. And uh, about a year ago, I took a trip to Bali and I've been granted an opportunity to put forward a proposal for my vision, basically uh, the most innovative, comprehensive, regenerative health facility on planet Earth. Um, and I put forward wow. this proposition uh, to the Indonesian government and in a globally competitive environment, my proposition ranked number one. Uh, I received some support funding from the Australian government, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, which allowed me to engage a consultancy to assist in the preparatory work. Um, so we were able to put together the bankable feasibility study, uh, the, the financial modelling, the strategic business plan, the schedule of accommodation, and the commissioning plan. So that um, enabled me to put together a, 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 a quite a detailed information memorandum against which we've been able to raise the capital and secure the opportunity. And it's literally just this week that we've signed the term sheet and been able to uh, transfer the funds. Um, and uh, we have the, the, the investors in train at the moment um, ready to fund the rest of oh. it. So I've got Japanese technical partners that are joining me on this journey. So I'm bringing Japanese regulatory mm. approved uh, cell therapy options to Bali. Um, and I have a, a network of global experts that are supporting this whole process. So it's a it's a big deal. We'll be able to 
develop a cancer treatment center where patients can access um, the kind of technology where you can just take your own blood, isolate specific immune cells that maybe are not in high enough numbers and they're not activated appropriately to be able to do their job. And that's one of the reasons maybe why the cancer has grown in the person's body. Mm -hmm. And we can do all that ex vivo. So we just take their blood, isolate the, the immune cells, grow them to high numbers in a way that maintain their cancer killing properties, activate them, and then put them back into the same patient. So there's um, our clinical partner in Japan. Uh, they've treated over 20,000 patients. Um, they've th that my clinical partner in Japan is actually the clinic that treated the first patient back in 1999. Um, and in all those uh, years, over 190,000 treatments they've administered, there's not been a single serious adverse event. So we're bringing that to Bali and making it accessible to Australians and medical tourists the world over. Um, and then we'll also have uh, expertise in stem cell medicine the ability to access same-day procedures, uh, the ability to uh, culture expand and bank your stem cells for later use. Um, mm. but, uh, secondary to all of that, my intention is to put together a neuro rehabilitation center. Um, you know, the aging mm. brain is something I'm very interested in. Um, and, yes. uh, so, yeah, I think we've got all the right players in place and we've got the financing strategies. And um, so this is... Uh, this I've been at work on for a decade, but more intensely so over the past year and a half. I have a hundred questions. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go backwards to go forwards, to be honest with you. Um, so so being somebody, you know, with the diagnosis of MS myself, like, um, and, uh, you know, and I always was a bit like, thank you for the diagnosis, but I don't accept the prognosis and, you know, and things like doing um, the protocol and every other way that I look after myself um, in my own life to ensure my best health, um, you know, long term and to not be medicated and, you know, all of these amazing things. Um, and so, you know, doing the exploration, like that's been a 10 year journey for me doing the exploration over the years, you know, stem cells was kind of one of those things that would pop up here and there, you know, when you're kind of exploring, like, what do we do if, you know, everything goes to shit and like, where are we sending me in the world? And, you know, all these different things. And um, what I always found interesting was that there's controversy around stem cells over the years and the use of them. And so it's really interesting to me to hear, even as you said, as far back as uh, not that far back, excuse me, as 2018, that the Australian government would turn around and say, actually, no, we're going to put a bit of a quash on you using your own stem cells to help heal yourself in some way. That just seems so counterintuitive. And then for them to give you um, some funding as well to go and do it, you know, just just off the border a little bit. Um, why is it so controversial? Why? Why? <laughs> why? Gorgeous being. It is truly my honor to have you here joining me on this co-created adventure through the strategy and energetics of Seven Figure Business. However it is that you landed here, whether we know each other personally or professionally, whether a friend shared this podcast with you as they thought you might get something out of it, or whether you stumbled across me by sheer accident or divine intervention, I want to thank you for being here and I want to ask you a little favor. It is my joy to do what it is that I do every single day. 
And so if you have received anything here, a piece of magic, a strategy, a mindset shift, something that has transformed you in some way, I ask that you share this podcast with others so that together we can transform the world for the better. One business, one human, one frequency, and one podcast at a time. Cosmic Money, the podcast. The strategy and energetics of seven-figure business. Yeah, well, the, the funding was uh, from an innovative organization set up in Jakarta called Catalyst, uh, spelt with a K. And Catalyst is designed to empower business dealings between Australian and Indonesian entities. And it's funded yeah. by the D Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So I put forward to them this concept note. Um, and in the concept note, I, I detailed my vision, but also the you know, in Indonesia, for example, there's a real want there. Two million Indonesians travel internationally for healthcare uh, every year. Uh, Indonesia's yeah. got the largest public healthcare system in the world, but it's terrible. So the Jokowi yeah. government wanted to um, begin the the transformation of the healthcare system, and and they started by developing a special economic zone with a healthcare focus in Sanua, Bali. Uh, within that zone. I've seen that hospital. The last time I was there, I'll be there next week, to be honest with you. And um, But, yeah, the last time we, we rode bicycles past and we were like, what is that? Is that like, you know, condos and penthouses on the water or something? And it wasn't until we were on the, the street side, not the beach side, um, that we realized it's a huge hospital complex that's being built and super modern and, you know, for international, um, yeah, use, et cetera. You yeah. would have seen on the beach side, you would have seen, obviously, the Meru which is a 10-story hotel that's been completely refurbished. I know what it is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. looks like You don't get buildings typically that big in Bali because they have some yeah. rules around building uh, and restrictions about building higher than a coconut tree. Um, ah, and, but yeah. behind the Meru, uh, there is the 250-bed International Hospital um, yep. and the Mayo Clinic is assisting in the development mm -hmm. of, of, of that. Um, they're advising, yeah. so I think it, I think it's going to be called Bali International Hospital or International Bali International Hospital by Mayo Clinic, something like that. And the Meru is the hotel. Meru means summit or peak. And then in between that hotel and the hospital, there are plots of land uh, designated for specific uh, centers of excellence. There'll be an aesthetic medicine center. There'll be a fertility clinic. Um, there'll be a, a regenerative healthcare facility. Um, and uh, yeah, so in between the hotel in the special economic zone and the hospital are plots of land designated for specific centers of excellence. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're taking one of them. So we were awarded some support to engage uh, the consultancy that allowed us to put together our proposal our bid and in a globally competitive environment my proposal ranked number one yeah uh, and then we're able to move forward now um, in being able to put this together so the controversies around regenerative medicine are, are multifaceted um, you have some uh, ethical dilemmas historically in the use of embryonic yeah. stem cells so to you'd have to use cells taken from a five to 15 day old blastocyst mm. So comes with some ethical yeah. dilemmas. Yeah, the, uh, the the Illuminati drinking um, babies or something like vampires to stay youthful or whatever, maybe. <laughs> well, there was a ban on embryonic stem cell research. Yeah. 
uh, for a period of time in the United States, and that got lifted um, with one of the previous governments. And and so then take, for example, in California, uh, there was a $3 billion agency set up called California Institute of Regenerative Medicine, or CERM, and it was actually an Australian that uh, was president, the founding president of that organization. And they spent a good three quarters of that amount of money funding uh, stem cell research throughout California. But unfortunately, they climbed the wrong ladder, I think, because um, all the focus went into embryonic stem cells. Now, the problem with embryonic stem cells is they're great for research and development, um, but their clinical uh, applicability is very limited. Um, when you inject a embryonic stem cell into an adult body, um, your body has never had to regulate the growth of an embryonic stem cell before. Because, mm. um, you know, when, when you're an embryo, they differentiate it into specific specialized cells. And so their growth goes a little bit unregulated and you develop what's called teratomas. Uh, these are like cell masses, almost like a tumor. But weird things can happen inside of these teratomas mm. because your embryonic stem cells have the capacity to turn into anything. Uh, they develop a whole human being. Yeah. So if you're going to treat osteoarthritis, for example, you don't need to put cells in your knee that have the potential to grow into a whole baby, yeah. right? And inside teratomas, you get all weird stuff like fully developed teeth or hair or like just really bizarre stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, it happens now. Doctors might cut a cyst out of someone and they find um, all this weird stuff inside the oh, cyst. Like Right, yeah. so that's some of these weird growth, um, you know, dysregulation <laughs> issues happen ordinarily. But anyway, so that there's the technical dilemma um, there as well as the ethical one. In 2006, Shinya Yamanaka in Japan uh, invented induced pluripotent stem cells. So he was able to take an adult cell, say a skin cell, and introduce a couple of genes three genes in particular, OSK, and these are called Yamanaka factors. And they're able to turn that cell back into an embryonic stem cell-like state. <laughs> so it handles the ethical dilemma of having to obtain cells from a 5 to 15-day-old blastocyst, but it doesn't handle the technical risk of developing teratomas. <laughs> so um, then there, were, there was a professor called Arnold Kaplan, who determined that you can get cells out of bone marrow that can turn into other types of tissue and could be used for therapeutic purposes. Um, so he is very much known as the, the granddaddy of, um, you know, these types of regenerative applications. Um, unfortunately, Prof Kaplan passed away just recently on January 10 yeah. at 82 years of age. Um, but he left a, a, a real legacy and, um, really changed the face of what's possible, I think, in the future. Now, this is could be seen as a real threat uh, to many very powerful bodies, you know, one, the pharmaceutical industry, um, two, surgical communities. Um, you know, they don't want to know that you could just get an injection into your knee and you don't have to undergo an arthroscopy or a total joint replacement surgery, which is bread and butter for uh, orthopedic surgeons. <laughs> And hospitals have quotas on how many operations they need to perform each year yep. um, to, to stay afloat as a business as yeah. well. So, you know, there's many things uh, 
that need to be responsibly handled and considered uh, when designing the future of medicine. But also, there are many things that need to be considered with a level of maturity before anyone starts saying, see, again, it's the pharmaceutical industry that's ruining this or it's the surgeons. Or No, there's, you know, there's also safety concerns about uh, how these procedures are performed and there's been some mishaps um, here and there, not because of the actual cells. Uh, they're your cells. If you're putting them back into your body, that's not an issue, but how the procedures are performed. So, no. you know, there's, there's a long way to go, but in Japan... Um, given the advances there and in combination with the aging population, the Japanese government, um, Prime Minister Abe, who's since passed away, he was assassinated. Yeah. But, um, Prime Minister Abe, he uh, was, was willing to alter the policies that allowed cell therapies to be made more readily available and accessible to uh, health consumers after phase 2A clinical trials, um, or at least where there's enough safety data to then be able to say, okay, we can safely make this available to people and then let's see. And the aging population meant that they had to do something because there were just going to be too many old, frail people um, burdening the healthcare system. <laughs> so that's their innovative approach since 2014 in Japan. Nowhere else in the world has really followed suit. Um, like the Japanese have. So I'm thrilled to be able to bring um, that forward thinking opportunity into an environment like Bali and make it uh, more more accessible for people. Do you feel, uh, what do you know? I don't even need to ask Bill. What do you know um, are going to be the practical applications for uh, like uh, neuroregenesis, uh, as you were saying, like personal question here. <laughs> Talk to me. About that. I think the cells themselves say for example if we were to take a little bit of fat um, from you and and isolate those mesenchymal stromal cells and and bank them for later use so you can do repeat dosing over time so people have to get out of this uh, thinking that one dose of stem cells should be enough I think especially for neurodegenerative disorders you need multiple doses but those those cells are um, secretory cells so they secrete the kind of medicine that your body actually needs. Yeah. So um, in the case of multiple sclerosis, that's an autoimmune. Uh, there's an autoimmune component to that. So you've got some dysregulation with your immune system. Mm -hmm. And these mesenchymal stromal cells have a, the capacity to interact um, directly with your T regulatory cells. So these are the cells that regulate your whole immune system. So it can dampen down autoimmune attack. Um, now, what's powerful is if you were to do that in combination with nutritional and various other hacking strategies, mm. um, so putting yourself into ketosis can have uh, a, a, a regulatory effect on your immune system, yep. um, significantly reduces inflammation. Um, it's difficult for your body to regenerate in the background context of inflammation. So you need to put the fire out first. It's like with bushfires, you can't be even thinking about regenerating the forest you know until you've put the fire out so in a human body you got to the fire is the inflammation and one of the biggest contributors to inflammation is insulin and what triggers <clears throat> hyperinsulinemia is excessive carbohydrate intake and people are just eating dessert all through the day in excessive amounts so you know we want to alter your nutrition 
um, eat appropriate to that. You've got to make sure that you've got a good quality um, source of protein, uh, whether it be, you know, animal protein or there's great um, ways to get plant protein yeah. uh, in you if you're that way inclined as well. So, But you do need the building blocks for your tissue to be able to regenerate appropriately. Um, using these mesenchymal stromal cells can, can do both. It can help dampen the inflammation and it can help stimulate the regeneration of, of tissue. So I think it could be um, very advantageous. Uh, I know that there's some stem cell trials happening in Australia, but they tend to be more focused on um, the, the hematopoietic stem cells that are derived from bone marrow, not necessarily the use of the mesenchymal stromal cells that we can get from bone marrow or fat tissue mm -hmm. um, or from umbilical cord. Um, so you know, donated umbilical cord blood or placenta tissue. Um, you can isolate the, the cells that are very young and potent and you can manufacture them um, to high numbers and just make them readily available to be administered into the patient. Um, so they too could be very, very powerful um, moving forward. I think in combination not only with nutrition but other modalities like hyperbaric oxygen mm, i saw you doing that the other day and i was like yes i yeah. should do that shouldn't i <laughs> like <laughs> i i think it's fantastic yeah. so i i started using the hyperbaric um strategy to deal with a head injury um i uh was a little bit irresponsible and going back into the dojo after 30 years <laughs> thinking that i could still do what i used to be able yeah. to do and anyway, I, I mistimed a, a break when I got thrown down by the, the master yeah. and my head just flopped back and hit the mat really hard. Yeah. And so I experienced a bit of a concussion, but then post-concussion syndrome. And so it was an interesting journey recovering from that. And I utilized multiple modalities to hack my recovery and was able to do so in you know a matter of five months. But it was an amazing opportunity to learn more about neurology and how the brain can be healed. Hyperbaric oxygen medicine is fantastic in that just the barometric pressure and intermittent high concentration of oxygen um, causes some adaptive processes, including an increase in the number of your own stem cells, which your stem cells decline pretty rapidly after your teenage years and then continue to decline over time, which contributes to the aging process. We call that stem cell exhaustion. Yeah. But under the conditions of hyperbaric medicine, um, you can increase your own endogenous stem cells even without having to do uh, one of the procedures that I talked about earlier. So that too can have a major impact, not only on regeneration and rejuvenation, but a, a neurogenesis um, as well um, and neuroplasticity. So I like these days, I still utilize the hyperbaric oxygen tank um, regularly, uh, not only for my own general well-being, but it keeps me on point cognitively. And mm. as you can appreciate, there's a lot that my brain needs to <laughs> hold and handle and um, express it at various times. And I have to be on point all the time, whether I'm in business meetings, talking to investors, um, I'm designing the future with my partners, or I'm dealing with governments. Uh, in different countries, uh, you know, there's many, you know, Climate. environments <laughs> that I have to be 100% on point with, or I'm pitching to Kyoto University for their partnership, or, or wherever I am, I've got to be on point and learn the science really, really quickly. So managing myself nutritionally, um, you know, 
walking regularly um, and uh, you know not drinking too much. Yep. I do like I do like red wine. Um, but then, but then in addition to all of that, um, getting into the hyperbaric oxygen tank as often as I can. Yeah, brain medicine is so fascinating to me as well. And even when I was being diagnosed with MS, I was like, "Shit! Oh my god! Oh no!" this is really fascinating. And then like, you know, and then I'd be like, okay, but it's happening to me. But wow, I didn't know the brain could do that, you know? And it was always this kind of like the, um, you know, the medicine human in me was like, this is amazing. Love that, you know, but also, oh, fuck. Um, and what I find really interesting, and to be honest, very limiting over the years um, uh, within neurology is the old school belief that the brain can't actually regenerate itself. And even in all of the things that I've always done over the years to look after myself, to be med medication free, to be well, you know, all of that, um, like my MRIs have even shown reversal of damage that has been done. And I'm like, but the proof, like it's here, like you can do it through ketosis, through, you know, eating well, through, uh, you know, good sleep, which was always a really big one for me. That's kind of my non-negotiable, you know, through um, even exercise and all the different pieces you know, and how well I've been able to be for the most part. Um, and so it is very exciting that there are there are other things, you know, even the the hyperbaric chamber, but also I'm in, just so you know, I'm in for um, stem cells and um, I'm quite happy to bank them and whatever we need to do, like, you know, test away, I'll, I, I'm so in. Um, uh, because as you just said, I rely, and that is the the twist of MS is that, um, you know, it has the potential to take away the portion of me that is me, you know, and I'm um, in my capacity and things along those lines. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy being me and I want to keep being me for as long as possible, you know, and to be able to function at a higher level and to, you know, go out there and succeed and do all the things that I want to do. And so, you know, being protective of that is paramount much like you said for you and your uh you know need to function out there in all of the environments yeah exactly exactly it's it's difficult to do it's difficult to be out here in the world with people uh connecting to people uh when you're so concerned about your own internal state and your own lot and if there's pain and there's dysfunction and there's lethargy and there's brain fog and mm -hmm. Um, it's very difficult to manage your mood uh, and your emotional states. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got to get all that well and get the foundation right. Um, but, you know, MS is a, it's a big issue in Australia in particular. We have such a disproportionately high incidence of multiple sclerosis here. Yep. Um, so, you know, whatever we can do to make a difference there and, and, and forward and advance, you know, whatever future strategies we can, you know, we're up for that. But also just the aging brain. Yeah. I mean, more and more uh, the earlier onset um, diagnosis of, of dementia yep. and Alzheimer's disease yeah. um, and also the various head injuries. But, you know, we're going to face a, a real issue. Um, so there's a phenomenon called uh, inconsequential kids yeah. um, where children that overconsume sugar and, and don't, eat or consume an adequate amount of protein, their brains, the parts of the brain that develop um, the, the, uh, the ability to comprehend and act appropriately to consequences don't develop properly. <laughs> so we call these kids inconsequential kids. And what this looks at like is they might be 11 to 14 years of age 
in that age bracket still chasing a ball out onto the mm. road. You know, you learn at a much younger age that there's a danger or a consequence to, to those types of actions. Um, that in combination with collision sports, particularly in younger um, males, yep. um, can cause sort of, you know, dysregulation or, or um, developmental issues. Uh, so all the, all the women out there complaining that men are so immature and so you're right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you appreciate the number of knocks to the head that most young males experience, I mean, this has a real impact on how their brain develops and their ability to develop the maturity and the responsibility that they need. Um, combined with that high sugar diets and excessive screen usage or time, uh, there's, there's a significant delay. Um, especially, and then our, our whole culture and the system is set up for this prolonged adolescence. Yeah. So no one ever really grows up. Um, so there's many things that could be impacted once we learn and are aware of the various distinctions of human development um, and in particular brain development and brain aging. So yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting part. I had my brain scanned and then my connectome. So the connectome is the map of all the various neuronal connections in your brain. So I had mine mapped um, a, a couple of times to just kind of monitor the improvement of my recovery. Right. And it was fascinating to learn just what my brain looks like. And the central executive network of my brain is hyper-connected to a degree that uh, Charlie Teo had never seen before. Yeah. And he's like giving me you know, grief about that. Yeah. I'm like, dude, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know. I've never seen it before. Yeah. And so that really uh, enabled me to accept, to learn about, and then accept the brain that I've got. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with my brain. Mm. I've got the brain that I've got, and now I've got to be responsible for whatever <laughs> doesn't work and whatever is great about my brain. How can I capitalize on that? I've just got to learn how to drive this thing. Mm. So that was a real transformative opportunity for me as well. Yeah, I uh, Charlie Teo actually lives near uh, near where mm. I live, and so I see him often enough um, out on puppy walks oh, and things like that. Okay. It took me so <laughs> long to be like, I swear that's Charlie Teo. Like that has to be him, you know, and uh, and whatever. Yes. But yeah, any any time I get a chance to attack him and you know down on the beach with the puppies, I will always go and have a chat. No, oh, he's he's used to being attacked. Oh, I'm sure. I know. I know. Oh my goodness, too much. So I believe. Um, yeah, he's great, and he doesn't do himself any favors. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, we'll have that conversation. That's another podcast, perhaps. Um, oh, I feel like there was one more thing I wanted to say. It's just sitting there. Let's see if it comes back, and then I'll ask you a final question. Um, 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 um. Oh no, that's gone. That's fine. Um. So then my final question for you um, today, because I could genuinely sit here all day chatting, uh, chatting to you, uh, is if there was, uh, you know, if there was one thing or a couple of key things that you would say to any of our listeners out there who are wanting to, you know, transform their life, transform their health, transform their business, operate at a higher standard, you know, um, go all in, whatever it may be, what um, would you say, uh, you know, is the piece that you want to kind of grab people and shake them and, and yell at them to do? <laughs> Oh, goodness. I think it, there's a, you know, everyone wants to be happy and be successful. Uh, and, and there's a misunderstanding of what both of those two phenomena are in reality. And the, the game of success is a challenge because there's all these standards and ideals against which we measure ourselves. 
And mostly the experience is that we just never measure up. And it's always about this, when I say I don't measure up, or there's always a some uh, version of I, me, or my in that conversation. So, you know, the, the game of that I play, I, I use it there, it's, it's hard, it's a challenge because you've got to use that language. But the game that's there to be played is one where you can identify a need or a want in the world, an outcome that you could see would make a real difference to the quality of people's lives, to the satisfaction with which people live their life, to the ending of suffering and 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 the opportunity for people to be uh, have some power and 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 a space that's safe enough for human beings to fully express themselves. And the the game, as far as I can see it, is hold yourself accountable for that outcome. And, you know, another way to look at that is, you know, there might be a question for people in their own internal state, internal dialogue. What's my gig in life? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? What's my why? Everyone's obsessed with that these days. You've got to get clear on your why and don't worry about that. Just identify something that you could see would make a big difference that could contribute something worthwhile and hold yourself accountable for that outcome. And in doing so, you'll discover your self-expression in that accountability. And self-expression is a function of responsibility. So if you can take on being responsible for that outcome, uh, you're going to discover new realms of possibility for yourself. There'll be an uh, an expanded um, experience of self uh, as well. And then life just takes on a hell of a lot more of an adventurous journey. You know, so I think that would be um, in terms of what game there is to play. And then how do you play the game? Uh, Integrity, integrity, integrity. And, you know, do what you say when you say you're going to do it and when you're not going to do it on time, you're in communication straight away. That's the easy part of integrity. The harder part uh, that really takes a lifetime of mastery is keeping alive for yourself an empowering context or conversation for what's possible. It's easy to, to, to kind of poo on circumstances and people and situations and systems, but if you can be the one that in all of that darkness keeps generating conversations for what's possible amongst the people around you, what you're up to, what there is to do and handle, but also internally as well, um, and this is, doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to feel good or you're always having positive thoughts. You're just oriented around what else could be possible. And then you get to live a, a life of possibility. So, you know, I think that that would be the two things is, you know, pick something great, hold yourself accountable for that outcome, and then be that without integrity, nothing works. And be in a land of possibility. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being here. I genuinely mean it when I could say I could sit here and talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, uh, And we're really grateful to have been able to steal even this amount of your time, this amount of your brain and, uh, you know, you and your mission and all the things that you're out there doing. Um, uh, Yeah, it's fascinating to me and I'm sure everyone listening as well will have gotten so much from um, today too. So thank you so much, Dean. (laughs) Uh, You're welcome. It's my pleasure and just really, really proud of you. I love still uh, going. Love seeing why. <laughs> keep 
keep going. It's great. 